0: You're listening to the Quince Podcast.
1: How will the lives of millions of women in Afghanistan change now with the Taliban taking control of the country? What will happen to their freedom? As the Taliban goes on to establishing their rule in Afghanistan, the futures of Afghan women and young girls stand at a very precarious position. They're petrified that those dark ages from the older Taliban regime might return once again. They're worried that schools, colleges, jobs, the freedom to be as they will, all of that may soon be snatched away from them. Even though in their first press conference since the capture of Kabul, Taliban spokesperson Zabihullah Mujahid said that they would honour women's rights going forward, there's an ambiguous caveat there that evokes distrust. The Taliban have made it clear that women can only exercise their rights within the framework of the Islamic Code. And the profound scepticism around their promises is an unfounded given their tainted past when they had banned education for women and girls, forbidden them to step outside without a male escort, cut off their access to employment, forced them to wear full-body coverings, failing to do which extreme punishments awaited women such as lashings and even being stoned to death in some instances. So can the Taliban really be trusted? With reports coming up of Afghan women being let off their banking jobs, women journalists being taken off air, is it likely that the Taliban will gradually go back to their old ways? In our previous episodes of the big story on the Afghanistan crisis, we tried to break down how the Taliban outlasted 20 years of a US-led military offensive and came back to power so swiftly. And what the unfolding humanitarian disaster would spell for US President Joe Biden's legacy. If you've missed those episodes, please do check them out in the show notes. In today's episode, we will bring you accounts of women from Afghanistan as they talk about how their lives have changed over the past few weeks and what they have to say about the Taliban's promises. We also spoke to Kriti Shah, Associate Fellow in the Department of Strategic Studies at the Observer Research Foundation, to understand. What the responses from international governments or the NATO allies towards the situation really mean? How will the stakeholders address that the hard-won rights aren't lost? You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shorbury. Over the past few years, a lot has changed for Afghan women, especially the younger generation who have only heard tales of the cruelties of the previous Taliban regime when they ruled the country between 1996 to 2001. In the short duration of their rule, the Taliban had become notorious for human rights abuses and their extreme punishments. Armed with radicalised views, they had imposed bans on TV, music, cinema. Men were prevented from cutting their beards. They were even flogged if they didn't pray five times a day. Public executions of criminals, such as murderers or adulterers, were irregular affair. Theft offences would often entail amputations. Undoubtedly, the situation for minorities and women were much, much worse. As I've said, forget education and employment. Women couldn't even so much as step out in public on their own without a male relative chaperoning them. There have also been instances of forced marriages between Taliban fighters and young minor girls. Adiba, an Afghan national residing in India, told the Quinn's correspondent, Anthony Rosario, that they had moved to India after the Taliban threatened her mother, who was a social activist there. She says that her whole family is now worried about her sister, who lives in Afghanistan with her husband
2: actually now uh, when we came here uh, before i was an uh, mbbs a student in afghanistan uh, but uh, the situations forced us to leave everything and came here cause there was uh, my mom was threatened by taliban and we can live Why
0: was she there yeah else?
2: yeah because my mom was a uh, civil activist and she was a lawyer and also she works for women's for women rights like for education rights, work rights, job rights. That's why they treated my mom's uh, to discontinue uh, her works. That's why we left everything. Because my mom didn't like uh, afraid of his uh, life, but she, she was afraid of our life. Yeah, so many of our relatives live there. Uh, even my sister, my elder sister who married there yeah. yes yes yeah. who married there yeah. with uh, her uh, husband family she lived there. Uh, we are so worrying about them. Uh, last night my mom and my family all family was crying just crying.
1: But even before the Taliban had formally declared their victory, women had already started becoming a casualty. According to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, some 80% of nearly a quarter of a million Afghans who were forced to flee since the end of May 2021 are women and children. In a report from July this year, the UN has also said that since the start of 2021, civilian deaths have almost risen by 50%, with more women and children being killed and wounded in Afghanistan than in the first six months of any year since records began in 2009. And that is the reality of the circumstance for women right now in Afghanistan. 20-year-old Zainab, whose real name has been changed to protect her identity, lived in what she describes as a normal and boring life in Kabul. In a phone conversation with the Quinn's gender correspondent, Maitri Ramesh, she said that she's a college student who would study English in the mornings, hang out with friends, go to the market with her mother, watch films. One of her elder brothers even taught her how to play the guitar. But now her family has made the tough decision to lock her up in a room, fearing that Zainab... Being an unmarried woman may be subjected to atrocities by the Taliban. And Zainab didn't want her voice to be recorded, so this is a reconstruction of what she told us.
0: I'm not even allowed to open a window. I feel suffocated. But it is what it is. I don't want any misadventure to cost the only thing I have my family. I was born the year that the Taliban was defeated. While I have heard of horrors from my parents and brothers, I have mostly seen only good times. I was looking forward to graduate with my friends this year. But now, we have been checking on each other over the phone. Many of them are locked up just like I am. Just because they want to live. We are all going to graduate this year, you know. Today, however, we are prisoners, fighting to be alive. I'll be lying if I say I saw this coming. So now, I am dreamless. Not many days ago, I used to dream of a stage of a mic in my hand. But today, I am scared to hope. I want to stay alive and not cause problems for my parents. They say that you realize the value of something only when it is snatched away from you. I cry at night for all the things that I have lost. Watching television with my friends, going out for a meal, simply sitting in our college campus and making fun of each other. I cry because I will soon also lose my music. First, I want to state, that the world has made Afghanistan a laughing stock. They pity us, but then what? What have they done to make our lives better? Second, we are not privileged enough to run to rich countries. Right now, we as a family only want to stay alive. That's all. Another
1: Afghan woman who's a practicing lawyer and a mother of two, told us about her dimming hopes. We'll call her Sakina Khan. Sakina told the Quint on a phone call that she hasn't stepped out of her house in the past five days, even though her groceries and cash are fast depleting. She said that going out is not an option anymore and she's relying on her kind neighbours for now. Sakina has managed to send her two daughters out of the country along with her brother's family. But her passport got delayed. What is perhaps gut-wrenching is the utter hopelessness that she feels as she told us that now she's simply waiting for the Taliban to come and kill her. Sakina too didn't want her voice to be recorded, so this is a reconstruction of her account.
3: I'm just waiting inside my home, waiting for the Taliban to come any day now and kill me. I have no other choice. It was the toughest decision I had to make. I did not hold them because my visa was taking longer to process. My daughters left just before Kabul was captured by these terrorists. I could not stop crying that day. But now I'm at peace. You know why? Because now I can die knowing that my daughters are safe. I used to eat my meals with two of my babies running around and creating a ruckus. But now there's a deafening silence inside my home and out on the streets whenever I dare to look out. The neighbours have been kind enough to give me food now and then. But for how long? I read reports that they are not allowing anyone to withdraw money. I don't have much, but whatever I have is hard-earned. Will they let me, an educated woman, take money? I doubt. I don't think there is going back anymore. Everyone has abandoned the Afghans, especially Afghan women. We have no choice but to be collateral
1: damage. But the Taliban's declaration of a general amnesty or the encouragement for women to join the government failed to win the trust of the Afghan people who they had alienated through their despotic rule the last time. While, on one hand, the Taliban is presenting a moderation of their ideologies for the world to see, taking questions from women journalists in their press conference, on the other hand, there are simultaneous reports of women losing their jobs. According to a New York Times article, Khadija Amin in News Anchor told a clubhouse chatroom that the Taliban had suspended her and other women employees indefinitely. Another report on Reuters said that Taliban fighters walked into the offices of Azizi Bank in Kandahar and ordered nine women employees to leave. They reportedly escorted the women home and told them that male members of their families could replace them in their jobs. And the severity of restrictions may change as we move from urban to rural areas where there might not be too many reports coming from. A computer science student from Herat, who we'll call Salma, sent us an audio recording describing how two of her sisters who are breadwinners in their family haven't been able to go to work. Some of her friends Salma told us have also been fired from their jobs.
4: I'm an Afghan girl and I work in a foreign organisation in Herat City. The situation in Afghanistan isn't good. My city is full of Taliban who has restricted idea about women. I was breadwinner of my family, but it's six days that I'm at home since her had fallen into Taliban control. There isn't any certain future about our work and education, whether Taliban let us to go work to educate or not. There are some bad news that they force single girls to get married with their soldier. It really scares us. Now, because it's the first days that they conquer the country to attract world's assistance, they publish good words. But all we know, Taliban aren't a group that we could trust of their words. We judge them based on their action. I also heard from some of my relatives who live in New and Farah. Provinces. The Taliban checked house to house to find government employees. It's possible that they do it in Herat and other provinces too. It calls that we hide all of our documents and scan them and save the soft through the internet. My sister, who live, lives in Farah also told us the Taliban fire, which was sent from Kabul to distribute to the people. It shows that they are not care about our
1: values. So then all the assurances from the Taliban, all the projections of a change, is it all just a hall of mirrors? Just a facade? Kritisha says that the only way that the Taliban has changed is to pay attention to how the international community might think of them.
5: The only way the Taliban has changed is that they now care what the international community might think of them. So they are now interested on what their public appearance is like, which is why they have been putting up this sort of facade of uh, tolerance and open-mindedness. They know that the eyes of the world are on them right now. And if they can show these few small cases of them being progressive, um, such as allowing... uh, female newscasters to read the news or girls to go to school, they know that they might be able to trick the international community or certain sections of the international community into believing that the group have evolved. Because if you come from an extreme right, uh, right-wing right ideology like the Taliban do, even if you make certain concessions and you move slightly left, people might think this is a really big thing that they have done um and they know that everyone's watching them so it's very important for them to put up this sort of false appearance so often when they're questioned in their press conferences about are you going to allow women to work are you going to allow girls to go to school they say yes of course but under islamic law and in their mind it's sort of that you know we didn't make this law up this is what god wants from us uh and that's the only way Uh, that we can allow uh, women to have these whatever rights that God prescribes for them. So that's why there's a lot of scepticism because there's nothing really to show. There's nothing really that they have done to show that they have made significant changes in their ideology.
1: But amidst the fear of oppression and erosion of rights, Afghan women aren't taking the Taliban rule hands down. They're voicing their opinions on social media platforms, letting the world know what's happening, In fact, videos emerged on social media showing a tiny group of four women in Kabul holding placards and demanding equal rights. In another clip shared by Al Jazeera, some women are seen marching through the streets shouting slogans. And in this grim situation, Afghan women are also looking to the international community, to the world leaders, to the international agencies to recognize how poorly secured their lives are right now as the US decided to end their war without owning responsibility of the human suffering that they have left behind. Salma says that the Taliban has taken away women's hopes as she urges the international community to help Afghan people.
4: I lose my hopes completely. Taliban take away our hopes. I feel like I'm in an a prison, and I could be free anymore. I want the world to help Afghan people to receive their rights and to educate, to work and have a bright future.
1: But have international government's responses towards the impending doom that Afghan women are feeling been adequate? To start with, US, the country that had held up images of atrocities under the previous Taliban rule, has bowed out of responsibility of what entails for women, even as the peace deal with Taliban did not work out as it was anticipated. Ms. Shah believes that U.S. or NATO allies are unlikely to do anything significant to protect women's rights in Afghanistan.
5: So, unfortunately, I do not think the U.S. or its allies in NATO are going to do anything significant to protect the rights of women and minorities. Uh, Joe Biden's speech showed that he was just eager to sort of deflect blame. Uh, and he said that he's not going to commit American troops in a war where Afghan forces are not willing to fight themselves. He blamed Ashraf Ghani that he got up and fled. Um, and this is and this is surprising because um, this is this is a government that has sort of put forward this uh, appearance that they are champions of women's rights across the world, and yet they have abandoned their Afghan allies uh, in a blink of an eye. This is similar to NATO where uh, NATO has said, simple thing, that we are on alert, uh, just watching for signs that terrorist groups, if they, if they start banding together and they begin rejoining, uh, then we will open up the possibility of doing something in Afghanistan. So they sort of just send a message to the Taliban that you still better not be friends with al-Qaeda because we are watching. So that's their only interest. Their only interest is to prevent Afghanistan from becoming a base for international terrorism. Their interest is not in protecting the gains which women have made over the last 20 years. And that's extremely worrying. So the next few weeks will be critical to see what are the different uh, other countries, regional countries that come together and how do they recognize or legitimize the Taliban government. And depending on that, we will see what that does for women across the country.
1: As social media platforms get flooded with requests from Afghan women to the international community to act up and help them, will international governments and agencies leverage their position and bring the Taliban in line? And that's a wrap for this episode. But do check out the Quinns website for more first-hand accounts of Afghan women. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Geo and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com.
5: Thanks for listening.
3: Log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts.